Hey folks, our daughter Hannah is four, four years old now. Since her birth, I have taken care of her during the day. That makes me a veteran stay-at-home dad. I kept that information to myself for a long time. I still keep it to myself. Because a wise man once told me that a wise man conceals knowledge. Now, keeping my quiet gives me a safe boundary. It's a boundary from what people might think of my decision to be at home and all that they might read into that decision to confirm their opinions, perspectives, and underlying assumptions. Feel me now. I maintain this boundary with folks who might support me in what I'm doing and those who might oppose me. Pourquoi? Because none of them had anything to do with the decision and none of them are responsible for its outcome. Man, that's, that's all on me. I tell you what though, this experience with my daughter has changed my life. That I've watched her grow and I've learned how to be me all day every day so you could say i'm watching both of us grow that's a simple statement man but, but that's heavy being me all day every day i found emotional intellectual and creative freedom during this time man it's just mind-blowing that is freedom that I found though. It ain't free though. Mm -mm. Had to buy a lot of time to finance this growth. But I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Now with my new life and responsibilities, I don't have as much time as I used to. But this simply means I don't have time to waste. I have less direct interaction with people now as conversations and correspondence. So each encounter is even more important and every moment matters that much more. These direct interactions, they, they help you so they help you contribute to someone's well-being. They also help you to know and grow. They help you understand and discern human nature both your own and others. And they help you show. They help you demonstrate wisdom earned through lessons learned. Now in a perfect world, you would remedy this lack of interaction just by reaching out and interacting more, right? Now I've learned that it might not be that simple. Before we live in a time in a culture where people do not respond to what they consider irrelevant. <laughs> now what is relevant is relative, but I get it. I've had to accept reaching out several times to get a single response. That's just what it is. I've had to accept that reaching out several times is 
easily and often interpreted as desperate. So when you do connect, your communication may carry this tone of, okay, well, what can you do for me? Well, however it comes and however it goes, man, I make it work for me. I can't afford to do anything else. Let me hit you with a story pulled from recent headlines. For many years, several years, I was a registered Georgia mediator. Now this was a skill that I acquired in preparation for my next life, once I left the formal working world. During my training, I was surprised by the lack of hands-on training that we got during our very expensive class. No worries though, because this, this lack of training, that's an opportunity disguised as work. The best part of our class was the informal role playing that let us practice being the mediator, being the combatant, and observe others in those roles too. Now role play activity had powerful potential and even more pitfalls. Now I've mentioned one pitfall. We spent very little time doing role plays. You need repetitions and what I call scene diversity to become effective at each role. Mediator, defendant, plaintiff, well, combatants. They're just two combatants in the mediation. Now, another pitfall was that role play productions were usually corny, really corny, very impromptu, off the cuff, improvised, and overdone, prone to hyperbole. Nobody wanted to be the mediator. So the poor soul who drew the mediator assignment often had to contend with combatants who did way too much freelancing in their roles. It used to drive me crazy. But I would admit to you now, though, that dealing with that type of volatility is a lot like real life, so you don't mind combatants who go off the page during mediation because that's akin to people kind of becoming unhinged or they're simply unhinged and that's how you experience them. Because people really do too much sometimes. So that kind of helps you become a better mediator dealing with those kinds of situations. Now the formal mediation opportunities were scarce and they were what I call insulated. That means that there are these insiders who collude to keep the opportunities for themselves and their friends. There are lots of lawyers who slide over to the mediator side when it suits them and then slide over to the litigator side when it suits them. I ain't, I ain't mad at that. Now, access to quality role play material was scarce as well. Most of it was possessed by the mediation trainers who charged those really expensive fees for their classes and for their role-play materials. The game recognizes game. I'm not mad at you. However it comes, however it goes, though, I'll make it work for me. So if quality role-play materials are scarce, 
then I might have to produce some. And I may have to produce them from my experiences, my perspective. Now, luckily, <laughs> my lifetime has probably included a few more conflicts than most people. My writer's nature is useful in documenting and most importantly sanitizing a lot of those conflicts so that they could be shared with audiences in some didactic and purposeful way. The lack of formal mediation opportunities also made me seek new opportunities to mediate informally. It's just as valuable. These opportunities were as prevalent as the conflicts and quarrels that often arise among us. I work with our homeowners association and community I live in that provided lots of opportunities for informal mediation. Now for several years I've compiled and published a conflict catalog of every disagreement that I either witnessed in person on TV or participated in directly. Now, I sanitize and summarize each scenario so that I can use it to produce lightly scripted mostly improvised role plays like we did in class. Got about a hundred of these scenarios now that I think are ready for the bright lights. Now one twist that I added to my approach though was to cast talented improvisational actors as the combatants, not merely mediation students, so that all the students would take turns engaging and observing the mediator role. I don't want students to ever be the combatants. I want the students to either be the mediator or I want them in the audience observing the mediator. Now, why am I requiring students to play and observe that mediator role? Well, in role play debriefs, the mediator's role, that's the only one that can be critiqued. If you're a combatant, you were combative. Well, that's what you were supposed to do. You were zany off-key, yeah, but that's what you were supposed to do. Once any group member is critiqued on their performance as mediator, it's fair and balanced for that member to observe that evaluator's performance and their subsequent critique as mediator. Now their performance as mediator will then either lend credence to or properly qualify the evaluators critique. And I hope that makes sense. See, we all tend to be perfect judges, but flawed players. And this inherent human contradiction makes simulation of the mediation process via role plays that much more important. Each mediator has to learn and hone their mediation philosophy and style, which includes developing their listening, speaking, and self-control skills. Now, my mediation philosophy is that I am not neutral. Rather, I am a neutralizing authority. I'm an equalizer. I discern deficits in resources, interests, communication, and expertise to create and maintain a balance of power between the combatants. That's my role. I control the conversation between the combatants by controlling myself. 
this maintains a climate that is conducive to peace making which requires a little combat as opposed to peace keeping which simply maintains the status quo peacemaking makes it clear when any behavior threatens that environment now I reserve the right and bear the responsibility to address that behavior privately and directly whenever that environment is threatened the mediators also have to develop the spiritual and emotional maturity to discern subjective opinions and implicit unspoken bias especially their own all right point of confession I am biased against microaggressive bullies and lazy folks who expect others to do their work that hits me where I live oh god that hits me where I live <laughs> now this awareness helps us helps me recognize the types of cases we should accept and the ones that we might be better off avoiding now there are obviously some cases that I would be wise to avoid the role playing helps you accomplish all of this with much less risk than your standard on-the-job training. Now once I refined my role play project, I wanted to approach the mediation community to market it and have it vetted. This took a while, but the opportunity finally presented itself earlier this year. A prominent local mediator was conducting a one-week class. He invited other mediators on his mailing list to attend the last day of class to participate in role plays to support the current class's students. Man, it sounded like a plan. I signed up quickly, showed up on a Saturday morning. One other student showed up, along with the teacher. So the three of us would have to role play with no audience and no real role diversity. Now, I then had a very revealing chat with the student. Remember, there's just the student, the teacher, and me. Now, the student told me that she had been invited to interview for a job that would coordinate a county's mediator staff. She lacked mediation credentials, so the teacher created a special session of his class just for her so she could obtain the credentials and then pursue an insider opportunity to direct the activity of perhaps more experienced mediators. Now, this is why she was the only student that showed up. Now, remember what I said earlier about mediation insiders colluding to provide opportunities for themselves and their friends? Well, this is what that collusion looks like. And I, I now need to add this to the list of cases I don't want to mediate. I don't want to mediate anything where there's any hint of a smidge of privilege. <laughs> All right, Derek. Focus. Focus. All right. We head into the classroom, and the student announces she does not want to mediate first. Now, she's the person who needs to mediate most, eh? I volunteered then to mediate first, which means I get to sit on the hot seat first, because I was only going to be there for an hour. That's a boundary that I set. I ain't going to be here all day. Now, as the case begins, I'm informed that I'm dealing with two co-workers who have been issued an ultimatum by their boss to mediate or else. Okay, that's clear. 
Now, the male junior co-worker, who was the mediation teacher, that's important, asserts that the female senior co-worker, who is the mediation student, should be more willing to help the junior co-worker do his job because she already knows how to do all this stuff. See, folk, God has a sense of humor because this case hit so close to home, I had to pump my brakes hard while I'm sitting there listening and realize, yeah, this is one of those spots I don't want to be in. So in the real world, I would probably have stopped this and recused myself, gave up the money because all money ain't good money. This is not a case I need to hear. Now, but we're in the role-playing world today, so, and I'm on the bus, so let's ride. Let's ride it out. My challenge was to make sure that I did not get drawn into the case too far because I have obvious biases about lazy folks who expect others to do their work. Now, in every conflict, there's much that I cannot see. Here's what I did see from my prior knowledge and biases. I saw a subordinate who needed to start pulling their weight or risk losing their job. I saw a supervisor who was frustrated with dealing with a pushy, manipulative subordinate that she probably could not discipline or fire. The subordinate talks like he's in charge. The supervisor does not feel or act empowered. Now they're both interrupting and talking over each other because they probably do not like each other much. This is a role play though, role play. Time to take control with some self-control. So I interjected, pardon me, pardon the interruption. Gave him a little pep talk. I tried to take him to the mountaintop to see the big picture. So I reminded them both that they had been sent to me as an ultimatum and that to make a start towards peace, they were both going to have to set a different tone than the one I had observed thus far. Now then called a caucus, that's where you can meet with each party one-on-one -on -one and offer them a deeper and, and more explicit truth. And I told the subordinate that he was not in charge. I advised him, hey, consider constructive ways to request training that you lack from your supervisor, who probably has a mandate to take the lead in resolving this conflict and its underlying causes. That's what she's paid for. She's paid to keep up with you. Now, in a separate caucus, I told the supervisor, hey, you're the supervisor, which charges you with a greater responsibility for resolving the conflict. I advised her, hey, allow your subordinate to maintain his dignity and ask him for the training he needed. That's what you do in caucus. We reconvene. They both heeded my advice. They worked out a plan to have the subordinate complete a series of courses that supervisor and subordinate collaborated to develop. They worked together to solve their problem. During the debrief, the mediation teacher, that's the one that played the pushy, manipulative subordinate, he complimented me on my self-control. Thank you and for maintaining a peaceful environment by taking control of the room when things got out of hand. So then he came right back and admonished me 
for speaking to them both in pedagogical, almost lecturing tones. That translation there is, he said, I was very condescending to them both. Condescending to the role being played or condescending to the role players? We can, that's a valid question that there could have been a little bit of both in there. Now he gave me a patronizer's pass because he remembered that I told him that I was a school teacher. All right, what I told him was that I was an administrator and I somehow got downgraded to school teacher, but I digress. We're humans, man, and bias comes out of what we do and how we react when things are done. So that's a two-way street. Now he told me that during the role play, his character gave me several opportunities to explore his emotional needs further. The things that made him pushy, manipulative, and lazy. And that I missed each one. I did. I did. His final comment was that I had a chance to make real peace in this conflict through deeper exploration of each person's needs. Instead, all I produced was a plan for training. And that was a, a little slap there. So then he challenged me kind of derisively to respond to his feedback because I had told him that I was a very chatty person. He said, oh, well, you're not being chatty right now. Like, I man, you better back up a little bit. I smiled and said, hey, I know I need to listen first and then respond objectively if necessary and if I'm able to. I might not be able to, I might just have to take what you said and learn what I can learn from it, separate wheat from chafe and, and move on. Now today it was going to take a while for me to unpack all that I had just absorbed, but once I unpacked the next day, yeah, I had a lot of clarity, man. Here's, here's some feedback on his feedback. So watch this. I've often been advised about, admonished for, and accused of using the pedagogical lecturing tone, especially when I am directly involved in conflict. Hmm. Point taken. That's one to grow on anytime somebody gives that feedback, regardless of our conflict or their intention. If I've heard it that many times, there's something to that, and there may be some times I can adjust. Maybe there's some other times I can't. Now, I've also been taken to task about that pedagogical lecturing tone by people who, for whatever reason, object to my authority. There are lots of reasons to object to my authority, man. I don't look like an authority. I sound like one. I don't look like one. And for the most part, I don't act like one until such time as, hey, it's time to set this thing straight. So, yeah, that may take some people by surprise. See, lots of us listen and think with our eyes and are often easily fooled. Now, I don't know this mediator personally, but I've had enough parallel experiences to discern that he, even in a role-playing scenario, he might have been a little tweaked when I addressed his character's behavior. See, ideally, you don't get to check grown folks about their behavior without some pushback, even if it's silent pushback. Now, ideally, you should never have to. Because grown people are grown, right? Then act like you know. Now, I reviewed my notes from my mediation class 
and was reminded that yeah, that needs exploration. That is a best practice taught by all mediation professionals. And for whatever reason, I, I do have a guess, but whatever reason, needs exploration was not at the front of my mind during that role play. Addressing that lazy, abhorrent behavior was at the forefront of my mind. Maybe my biases kept me from getting out of my own way that day. See? I'll do better next time. There remains to be seen whether holistic peace can be achieved in one real mediation session. Maybe the best thing you can do is get on the road to peace. Maybe leave it to them. Leave them to their own devices. Now during that role play though, I think I wanted it to end. I'm being real. I wanted to end sooner than later and chose starting a path to peace through training as a specific measurable achievable relevant timely goal it's a smart goal those are good goals to have the peace between those two folks that was going to be a process that would have to continue long after our session oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it was not lost on me that the mediator was a little more than condescending in real life while telling me that i was condescending during the role play Oh, I didn't miss that. I kept quiet about it so I could hear what he was to tell me about me and also hear what he told me about himself. That's why you listen, man. You're going to learn at least two things. You're going to learn a little bit about how you are. You're going to learn a little bit about how they are. Now, listening without retaliating made it clear to me now, I probably don't need to do any more role plays with this mediator. Now, I do want to observe him, though, in an actual mediation. Not a role play, an actual mediation between combatants who go off script in ways that wreck all of his theory. Oh, I want to see that. Now, that'll give me perspective on how closely he adheres to his mediation theory when the bullets start flying, you feel me? That'll either offer me some insight to how it's really done by a pro or how difficult it is to do for a pro or perhaps both. Either way, that's one to grow on. So let's conclude here. This role play was positive simulated experience that showed me things I have learned and practiced well as well as other things that I need to work on. Now I was reminded about key mediation components that I was taught but forgot to use needs exploration. Yeah, messing that up in practice that'll help me get it right in the game I hope but I need more practice there. I know that my calm and self-control, hey, they've reached new positive levels. And I know that I am very comfortable speaking in my authority. But also know that authoritative discourse may tweak people, no matter how it is delivered. So it must be used with care, concern, respect, and most of all, wisdom. You got to know who you can go there with and who you might want to hold up on. Now, above all else, I'm convinced 
about the power and validity of role playing as a useful, low stress training ground to learn important lessons about me and other people. The role play alone will teach you so much more about people than it ever will about mediation and man, that might be a more valuable lesson because let's face it there aren't a lot of mediation cases around for you to get and get paid to, to, to hear. This also allows me to gather real-time reflective insights without inciting some of the more engrossing stressful conflicts that I experienced during my career. Say that.